today on CityCast Chicago. Brandon Johnson is being officially inaugurated as Chicago's 57th mayor this morning, bringing a close to the Lori Lightfoot administration. We asked City Hall reporters Mariah Wolfel from WBEZ and Heather Sharon from WTTW what grade they're giving Lightfoot and what they're expecting as Johnson makes his way to the fifth flow. It's Monday, May 15th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago is talking about. Welcome back to CityCast, Heather and Mariah. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the the vibe of going into this inauguration. Uh, Heather, does 2023 inauguration feel different from 2019? It absolutely does because it's it's a little bit hard to remember, but Lori Lightfoot won 75% of the vote in the April 2019 runoff. So she was really just at the peak of her powers on Inauguration Day. She had really sort of reshaped the political landscape because she won nearly, she won every ward and she won nearly every precinct. And she did it by promising an end to politics as usual. And she sort of started to try to do that. And I think immediately sort of ran into the exact problems that would dog her administration from the first day until the very last day. Mariah, so much of the tension and and scrutiny towards Mayor Lightfoot was people feeling like she didn't live up to some of those big campaign promises from 2019. How would you rate, if you wanted to give it like a report card, like ranking, how would you rank the mayor's ability to, to keep those campaign promises? Well, I think it's mixed. I mean, I think Lightfoot has a lot of legislative accomplishments, but I think she very objectively backtracked on some of her biggest ones, like pushing for an elected school board that she actively fought against, reopening mental health clinics that she, you know, decided you know, pretty immediately not to do. And so even even with police reform, you know, in the past four years, Chicagoans um, activists finally got civilian oversight of the police. And it was a major accomplishment for progressive aldermen and activists who fought for that for so many years. But Lightfoot spent a long time trying to water that ordinance down. It's a less strong version than what people had envisioned. And so I think I think it's a I think it's a mixed bag. I'm actually again mixed bag. Is that a C plus C minus? What would that look like? <laughs> mixed bag. Is that average? <laughs> I knew you wouldn't let me get away with not you know giving it. A, not giving a grade on that. I no, I would say I would say a C. I would say a C on okay. on on Lightfoot's keeping of her campaign promises. I don't know if Heather would agree. Well, I think I think Mariah is being a little bit of generous to the mayor, honestly, because she vowed to end aldermanic prerogative, which is the sort of the decades-old rule of giving each alder person the final say over ward-related issues. That practice remains nearly entirely intact, and it does not, has not changed significantly in a way that would help Chicago become less segregated or would require more 
more affordable housing in wealthy white areas of the city. I also think that she ran in large part on that experience that she had on the police board and as the head of the task force formed in the wake of Laquan McDonald's murder by a Chicago police officer. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Chicago consent decree, the police consent decree, is only 3% complete. And she vowed to swiftly implement that that those reforms. And I don't think that you can sort of categorize 3% completion as anything other than really a failure to fulfill that promise. And, you know, I think that we heard her acknowledge that a little bit in the few media interviews that she's given is that she credits herself not with accomplishment, but for, quote, planting seeds. And I think that is an indication that she herself acknowledges that she fell short. Now, I'm I'm sure that she believes she fell short in part because of the pandemic. It just became impossible to get anything done because she was literally consumed with making sure as few people got sick and died as possible. And there's no doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that she promised those things, backtracked on several and just didn't accomplish others. And I think that that is in no small part why why she finished third in her reelection bid and, and did not even advance to the runoff. Professor ah. Sharon, such a, a great commentary, a great answer. But uh, Mayor Lightfoot's semester is over. And what grade are you putting down? I'll give her a C plus and I'll give her the plus because the fact of the matter is, is that no mayor would have been prepared or equipped to lead Chicago through the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think she she deserves a little bit of, of, of grace on that. Mariah, I feel like we've talked about so much about the mayor's demeanor, we campaign promises, how she worked well with others. Uh, what's one thing from the last four years that you don't think we talk enough about? Well, I do think, you know, kind of Heather's the conversation about aldermanic prerogative brought to mind um, the way that Mayor Lori Lightfoot really re-solidified mayoral power in Chicago and used it again and again. You know, Heather and I sat through countless hours-long city council meetings where it was just parliamentary maneuver after parliamentary maneuver, the council doing flip-flops at times, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's allies doing flip-flops to rush through policies, the Chicago casino um, being a chief example Mm -hmm. of that, um, which was ultimately, you know, passed in less than a month from when Lightfoot announced who the the winning bidder for the project would be. Um, She created a city council committee full of her handpicked committee chairs, um, the special casino committee to see that project through, which the casino, another major accomplishment that had been decades in the making that got done under Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Um, But yeah, she made some enemies along the way. And it's in part because of how she used her, you know, longstanding, but kind of unwritten in many ways, executive power and you know, I think we're seeing some signs of how that might 
not change might change a little bit and might and might not change under Brandon Johnson. No, that's a great point because I also think beyond legislation, I think, you know, the NASCAR deal, I think selling public land to the Chicago Fire, a lot of those things were done unilaterally, if you ask city council. Heather, you know, I watched you in a few of those those press conferences and the relationship between the mayor and the media, the mayor and staffers, the mayor and members of city council at times was framed as contentious. As somebody who sat across from the mayor, who asked questions and follow-ups, was that? do you think that that criticism is fair? I do. And I think that it's important to remember that Lori Lightfoot is not a career politician. At her heart, she is a prosecutor. She is a high-powered lawyer. And she liked to treat news conferences as cross-examinations. So it was always combative. And I think that what I found most frustrating was that there seemed to be little sort of agreement of what the facts were at issue. So, for example, um, you know, I did a lot of reporting about sort of the number of police officers who had refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine, putting them at risk of discipline or dismissal. So I had FOIA'd a bunch of data from her office. I'd crunched the numbers, you know, my Excel spreadsheets were popping. And so I presented it to her and I basically was like, why is this not clearly an example of these officers you're sort of using this ex exemption to, to avoid getting the vaccine? And why are you allowing them to do it? And instead of sort of directly addressing the question, she disputed the data. She told me my data was wrong and that the numbers were incorrect. And they weren't, of course, because they were from her office. And that made it really difficult to sort of sort of talk about the issues, right? Because it was all always sort of framed, I think, as not, uh, I'm here to sort of ask about information that the public needs. I think a lot of times she saw it as she felt like we were there to sort of like confront her or embarrass her or sort of like play gotcha journalism. And I think that that was a real disservice to the people of Chicago and also fundamentally broke the promise she made during the 2019 campaign to bring in the light to City Hall. You can't have light in City Hall without access and respect for journalists. Mariah, I can imagine some Chicagoans listening to this conversation and they hear parliamentary procedures and media Q&As and their eyes glaze over. You know, is this something that regular Chicagoans care about or or should they? Do you think they were paying attention to how the mayor maneuvered in these ways and, you know, maybe took that into them with the voting booth? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, Chicagoans do pay attention to the way politicians answer or don't answer questions. And uh, the other thing is that this was during the COVID-19 pandemic when press conferences were probably getting the most views that they ever have in in the history of of Chicago politics because everything was being live streamed people were tuning in to listen to Dr. Allison Arwady give them you know the latest information about the pandemic and maybe some of those habits kind of stuff let's talk about that relationship with city council and how Johnson is orienting himself to the city council, you know, how, how do you think he will fare as he starts to, to name, you know, chair leader or starting to name committee chairs and starting to name floor leaders? 
So Brandon Johnson had kind of, Marilect Johnson had, you know, expressed general support for council independence on the campaign trail, but didn't really give specifics about how he envisioned that. It does look like Johnson is going to be choosing his own committee chairs. And, and so that is one indication that he is interested in maintaining the long held mayoral power to you know, really have a sway in when legislation comes up for a vote or not. You know, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa is one of Brandon Johnson's biggest allies, and he will surely play a large role in whipping votes and overseeing, you know, policy getting, you know, getting moved through the legislative process on the city council. And Ramirez Rosa, you know, hasn't always had the, the best relationships, I think, with everyone on the council, though he is um, the longest sitting Democratic Socialist. He was the first Democratic Socialist elected in 2015, and he was a loud and proud Democratic Socialist on the council. And it's certainly going to be a shift from what we saw in the past four years, which was progressives and Democratic Socialists really clawing for more power and, and, and seeing successes in many ways. But now those are the people who are really going to be in, I think, powerful positions in this next council. So you kind of see a shift there. I think that by sort of tapping Alderman Ramirez Rosa as his floor leader and as chair of the zoning committee, he is picking somebody who has been very clear about his vision for the council as a legislative body, an independent legislative body in charge of sort of 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 not only helping to shape the mayor's policies for the city, but to make policies of their own in consultation with the mayor. And the Chicago City Council, let's be frank, has never operated that way. So that is just a mass, would be a massive change for the city council, which for many years operated as a rubber stamp for Mayor Richard J. Daley, and then Richard M. Daley, and then Rahm Emanuel. And I think that by sort of giving so much power to Alderman Ramirez Rosa in terms of just zoning chair and floor leader, this is the mayor elect saying, I see the city council as its own entity, as somebody I can, as as an institution I can collaborate with, but one that does not report to me and that I do not control. You know, the flip side is, is that, of course, he could have said, look, you guys picked committee chairs before the runoff election. I'll, I'll live with that. And that's fine. And I think what he's trying to do here is sort of to, you know, sort of find that middle ground. I mean, we are going to have a city council that is generationally younger than the one that was inaugurated in 2019. There will no longer be any older people who are under active federal criminal indictment. So let's all just take a moment and celebrate that milestone for our city. <laughs> and, you know, it will be far more progressive far more Latino and significantly more LGBTQ. So, you know, that is, I think, going to just change a significant amount of things that that we can't even really sort of predict at this point. Mariah, you recently spoke with Johnson's chief of staff. How did that conversation go? How does Johnson's camp seem to be faring at the moment? They are really hesitant right now to commit to specific policies. I mean, one of the takeaways we had from our interview with his chief of staff, Rich Guidus, was that, you know, his team closest to him is, is not yet ready to commit to some of the, the, the major, you know, public safety promises Johnson made, including ending the contract with 
the controversial shot spotter technology. You know, he's in a phase of, okay, I am mayor elect now. And so I need to really get into office and see what I can do. Yeah. Whether folks are a fan of Mayor Lori Lightfoot or not, she already has budget and policy initiatives enacted. So, Heather, what do you think is the biggest thing Johnson will have to pick up on that's left over from the last administration? Well, I'm really interested to see what Johnson does with the Invest Southwest initiative because they did not disagree that both the South and the West sides have truly suffered from decades of disinvestment and that it would benefit the whole city to have the, you know, the official sort of redevelopment efforts of the city focused not in a place like downtown, but, you know, in neighborhoods like Austin and, you know, Chatham and Auburn Gresham. And I want to see sort of what he does with those. And and I will, I, I think, be fascinated on just a host of issues, including whether or not he will, you know, sort of be able to reopen the mental health clinics that were closed by Rahm Emanuel back in, in 2012. And this has been really an open wound that has barely scabbed over for for more than a decade now. And I think that Johnson faces the same trouble that that Lightfoot did right after she took office. So, you know, it's a cliche to say that you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose, but it's true. Um, It's harder to govern than it is to campaign. And Johnson's promises, such as reopening the mental health clinics, such as ending shop spotter, such as fulfilling the consent decree, those are all hard things that he is now on the hook to do. And You know, I think Mariah is right in that Johnson showed a different, more collaborative approach than we have seen from other mayors, including Mayor Lightfoot. And the upside of that is that potentially it makes your job easier because once you announce something, you already have buy-in. But the downside, of course, is is that you have had to collaborate with a whole bunch of people and you've had to herd those cats and maybe they don't all agree on a solution. And maybe you get mired in talking and collaborating and you never actually get anything done. And that is politically perilous as well. So, um, this is apparently my section of the show to use all of the Chicago cliches, but <laughs> is not beanbag, right? Like it is not beanbag. And Johnson will have to make no small plans to address the problems facing <laughs> Chicago. WTTW's Heather Sharon and WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel, two of the best and brightest City Hall reporters Chicago has to offer. Thank y'all, as always, for making time uh, for little old CityCast Chicago. Happy to do it. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jacoby. Before I let you go, a little bit of news. Tomorrow night, community members on the near west side can learn about a slate of proposed developments for the neighborhood, including a restaurant, expanded Blackhawks footprint, and a new music venue. The meeting is at 7 o'clock and open to the public. After weeks of delays and community protests, an Inglewood Save-A-Lot is now open at the former Whole Foods location. Now, we wait and see if the store can improve on the brand's reputation on the south side. The Writers Guild of America will picket NBC's Chicago office in the loop this Wednesday at noon. You can learn more about the strike and what writers are asking for in our recent episode with writer and creator Zay Dorn. There's some good news. 
The Bears have released their 2023-2024 regular season schedule. One of the best promo videos I've seen in a while. You need to check it out. It's inspired by the hit TV show, The Bear. We'll open at home against the Packers. I know it's early, but I want to hit those predictions. Text us at 773-780-0246. Leave your name and what you think the Bears record will be at the end of the season. Hey, that goes for you too, Corley. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We're here bright and early tomorrow morning. We'll talk to you then. Peace.